welcome to the podcast of ideas. The recording you're about to hear is from the Academy of Ideas Arts and Society Forum, which took place on Thursday the 28th of May. This is the third in the forum series called Ask the Artist, with Patrick Marmion on the shock of the old in Stephen Burkhoff's Greek. In the chair is Wendy Earle. Uh, my name is Wendy Earle and I'm the convener of the Arts and Society Forum and this new series of events that we've been running now for, um, this is the third event in it, called Ask an Artist. And um, Ask an Artist, what makes art work? And the idea of this series is based on the assumption um, that uh, artists, all artists, build on the shoulders of giants. They, they look at what's gone before them and take inspiration from that in their field of art. Uh, the previous two um, events have been recorded and they're available on Facebook. And this event has been recorded. Uh, so um, I hope you enjoy it. The basic format of the event for people who haven't joined us before is that uh, this, the main speaker will do an, an introduction for 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and then we'll open the discussion up for questions and answers. I mean, I've, I've got a, quite a few questions, uh, but I think I probably won't um, launch into my questions. I'll just see what comes from the floor and if there are any kind of silences, I might throw something in. It's all very relaxed and informal. Um, you know, do feel free to um, ask even the most basic of questions. Uh, you might think it's basic, others might not. And um, the other thing is we haven't really asked people to um, do any preparation for this. We haven't pe asked people to read the play, but if you have read the play, um, then you know, do chip in with your own views on it and, um, and uh, any performances you might have seen. I think the last one is 1988, so you'd be fairly long in the truth if you've seen that. So that's it. So without further ado, let me introduce Patrick. Um, Patrick Marmion is um, somebody whose plays I've seen, I think I've seen three of his plays, I'm not quite sure how many he's written, but they, I, I've, they played at the Arcola after, over the last um, two or three years. And um, they are, I've, I've really enjoyed them. So once I uh, launched this series, I thought of him as somebody who'd be really interesting to uh, ask to come and, and talk about his inspiration, what, what work of art in his field has inspired him. And he chose the play Greek by Stephen Burkhoff. Um, and I was just saying to him before we started that um, I had read a little bit around Greek and thought um, it sounded absolutely awful. Uh, and then I actually read it and was completely bowled over by it. It's, a, it's, a very, um, it's very shocking in many ways, but it's also just, um, in my view, brilliant. So if you haven't read it, I would really um, recommend going away and, and getting hold of a copy. So um, Patrick's going to talk for about, as I say, for, for a little while, and um, hopefully persuade you to read the play because I don't think it's performed anywhere. And he might, he might talk a little bit about why that is. Um, and then hopefully you will be able to go away and make your own judgment about it when you get a chance um, to read it. Uh, oh, and other thing I just wanted to say, uh, two other things uh, while I've got you all here. One is um, this event is free, as you know, but if you could make an, a donation to the Academy of Ideas, 
uh, it would be much appreciated. The academic ideas continues to operate throughout this um, period of, of uh, lockdown and um, has staff to pay and that sort of thing. I don't think they get very much actually, but anyway, um, they still have bills to pay. So please do make contributions to the Academy of Ideas. Uh, and, um, and the other thing is the next event is on the 18th of June and Dido Powell will be talking about uh, two paintings, uh, Jericho's Raft of the Medusa and Picasso's Three Dancers and talking about how they inspired her and her, her uh, work as a, as a painter. Okay, so now, uh, Patrick. All right, well, um, it's, uh, it's a, a great honor to have been asked to do this, of course, but uh, um, more perhaps surprisingly, it's also been an enormous pleasure for me to, uh, to actually to, to uh, revisit this play, which in fact I first encountered at, um, while I was at university. Uh, uh, back in the 80s and um, I saw it uh, performed at the Edinburgh Festival and, imme and immediately it's my first encounter with Burkhoff and, and it immediately made me want to go out and uh, read everything that um, uh, he had written with a kind of youthful enthusiasm. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to, uh, mindful of this rubric, uh, what makes art work, um, I'm going to start off with some questions that, uh, that, that uh, possess me. Um, if you like, and um, uh, then move on to, to talking about uh, some notes that I made on the play. Then um, uh, uh, take a detour into a, uh, a short uh, meditation on um, Frederick Nietzsche, um, the birth of tragedy, as you do, and um, the uh, and then uh, have a look at a, a major um, uh, influence on Arto and uh, sorry on Burkhoff and. A lot of um, uh, radical theatre makers at the time, uh, a guy called Antonin Artaud, who was a, um, a French uh, playwright and, uh, and, and thinker and slightly uh, bonkers. Are we allowed to say bonkers? Yes, let's say bonkers. Um, but in an in a interesting and good way. So the, the questions that, that really, uh, as I'm coming at, at this, and, and I sort of felt I wanted to come at it, of course, as well, and never mind the fact that I was invited to come at it in this way as I understood it. Um, uh, from the point of view as, uh, uh, as a working writer. Um, so the, one of the principal questions that I think has, be, has become, and I don't, I hope, please um, shout or, or gesticulate perhaps, because you're on mute, if this um, sounds pretentious or if any of this sounds pretentious, because uh, I'd like to avoid that at all costs. Um, it, one primal question that I've realized has come to kind of uh, preoccupy me, not something that I necessarily set out to, 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 to uh, meditate on, but I realized that I just keep orbiting around it rather like the moon does the earth, you know? So, and that is, um, who are we and what do we want? That is really, I think, the question, the two questions that, uh, or maybe they're really one question that um, preoccupies me. And I think that this uh, thinking in that way help, helps me to, uh, to I, I think will, I hope, shed some light on what um, uh, uh, my understanding of this play, Greek. Now, the one question, one of the, uh, the, the questions that, that flow from that to my mind are, um, should tragedy um, uh, or art be corrective? I'm just going to throw out some questions first of all, and I'm going to come back to them again uh, at the end. So, should art be uh, um, or tragedy be 
corrective? Should it, in other words, should it have moral purpose, or it, should it actually um, represent the suspension of that? The second question is the question of libido. I think that libido is too narrowly defined quite often as, um, as sex drive, which is what people kind of generally think it is. Um, but I think that for the, certainly for the purposes of understanding Burkhoff, it's better, although there's quite a lot of sex drive in him, the, uh, there's, um, it's better uh, thinking of him in terms of uh, uh, life force. The um, third question is that people talk about being about him quite often, his work being life affirming. Um, and um, uh, I wonder what we actually mean by that, you know, uh, is, is uh, it's something that people accept very glibly about writers. But, you know, if you think about it, is, is what we mean by saying Beckett is life affirming, for example, or indeed a writer like Sarah Kane, who was um, who's, who's plays are very, uh, certainly especially later plays are very clearly about depression. Um, uh, a fourth question is um, uh, how, um, how do the cerebral and the physical worlds connect um, and uh, is this um, a function of, um, of art? Uh, a fifth question is, is, is art um, uh, or theatre um, a space where we can um, suspend normative um, ethical moral judgments or where we engage with them or both. And that kind of relates to an earlier question, but that is more about the expectations that we come uh, to a theatre with rather than what the um, uh, play itself may or may not be about. Um, uh, a further question is whether um, the, uh, the function of uh, a play uh, is to, uh, is to uh, let's put it in bold terms um, traumatize or console um, the um, uh, uh, not question number seven two more to go um, there's uh, the question of obscenity and transgression I think is quite an interesting one today um, it seems to me that obscenity and transgression as we see it in people like Donald Trump and so on has become a kind of instrument of power where once um, it was uh, before I think you could argue an instrument of emancipation uh, or an instrument of, of perhaps struggle and it's certainly I think uh, in, um, in, in this play Greek that is um, where Burkhoff is coming from. Uh, and my final question is, is can art change the world should it try and uh, what do we mean by uh, change the world? So, um, just thinking about uh, the play itself, um, uh, just, I, I don't wanna do a synopsis of it or something like that. So if you, if you don't uh, know it, just broadly speaking, it's the um, Oedipus myth, which is retold in late 70s, early 80s London. And it's kind of, it's written in a, a sort of dense thicket of cod Shakespearean vernacular, which is uh, uh, um, Burkhoff's trademark um, uh, style, uh, much parodied and imitated and, uh, and emulated, of course. Uh, and uh, it's a story of Eddie who, um, uh, uh, who starts life in the East End and um, winds up running a cafe before discovering that uh, his... Uh, um, his uh, mum and uh, dad aren't who he thought they were and uh, he winds up uh, uh, unwittingly uh, killing his dad and as he puts it having a bunk up with his mum. So along the way there's a lot of things it's obviously this is written I don't I wouldn't, wouldn't 
think it's particularly, I wouldn't call it abrasive necessarily, but let's use that word nonetheless. Um, so there are things I think it's worth, um, uh, you could take a lot of it at face value, but I think it would be uh, disappointing to do so. I think uh, the place richer when if you don't, and I think it's quite hard to take at face value because uh, it's, it's a wild freewheeling play. And I don't know what, I'm not even sure what face value would mean in this context. So, for example, one of the lines that stood out to me early on was uh, was how was was about OAPs, an ostensibly ungenerous line, OAPs staring out into the dreams they never had. Um, and I just it occurred to me: is this that line really about OAPs, or is it about Eddie's fear of being an OAP? Um, in other words, of the emptiness, uh, or qua emptiness of of life, and actually wanting to fill. Uh, being afraid of emptiness and wanting to wanting to fill it with sand and fury and all the rest of it um like much of the play i think this is not to be um mistaken for mere um uh, social comment um desire and disgust loom large uh, in the play and i think that they are uh, they're, they're closely uh, mixed and i think there was one nice line which uh, um uh uh, sort of captures the way that they're, that they're, it's um, it, it's it's mixed is when he um, he sits down to have a chat with his dad. His dad breaks the news to him that he's had this kind of dodgy um, uh, trip to a um, a fortune teller and is worried about if that it might all come true. And um, he looks down and he's, he notices that his dad's um, flies are half undone. Uh, and I try not to look at them, he says. What I quite like about that line is uh, not only are the flies undone, they're actually they're half undone. So sort of there's a sort of level of detail there, which is um, uh, is uh, connects us to the uh, theme of the play, and also I think directs us more precisely by virtue of being half undone. You know, um, the um, uh, another line which um, uh, uh, jumped out at me, and in terms of discussing uh, his language, was when he refers to redigesting bits of the past and and sucking still the flavour of some juicy memories. Um, the language is always visceral, always visceral in Burkhoff, but it's also there's something kind of innocent and infantile about um, the way that he writes. There's a kind of uh, infantile pleasure that he takes, and I think that there's. Um, uh, in Freudian terms, you might think he was, uh, you could easily, I think, make a case for saying that he was uh, um, uh, rather sort of um, fixated on the breast. Um, and um, is, uh, but is language um, in his play, I think, is a, is a, a vehicle for what you might call the libido. And this is this question of the libido is what I want to um, uh, return uh, to again. Um, and that is nicely illustrated when he talks about um, uh, sedu seducing his um, his uh, uh, mother in the cafe and talking about uh, robbery with violets and glorious bodily charm instead of grievous bodily harm. Um, and um, but story in the play, of course, is uh, is an important element. Obviously, referring to the um, Oedipus myth, which is which is well known, and of course, um, because it's well known, we're not really surprised about what happens. And it's much more about the way that he that he changes it, way that he that he um, um, he plays with it. And the, st the story is told broadly chronologically, um, but it moves um, uh, uh, in space. Uh, memory and imagination 
uh, and it's much more concerned with moving in those sorts of uh, dimensions. The question of the obscene then uh, comes up to me, which people often think, oh my God, this is disgusting and so on. I remember when I directed the fact that I had some, um, uh, I was like about 21, as you can see, that's so by looking at me, that was uh, not last week. And um, the, uh, uh, the, I was absolutely horrified when one night some, um, what looked to me, there were probably a couple of ladies in there, probably in their 60s or something like that, turned up to see it. And I, I didn't, I was sort of slightly panicked. I think, do they know what they're getting into here? Should I warn them? And they absolutely knew and they were delighted by us. I'm pleased to, I'm, I'm I'm pleased to say, but nonetheless, there is this question of the obscene, as you, as those of you who have um, uh, have read it uh, will, will know. And in terms of, for example, the great gag, and it's about wanking with mum's cooking oil, which then is the one thing that goes missing after he uh, leaves home. And um, it's uh, it's a great joke, but it's also an obscene connection with the theme of the bunk up with the mother, and again with this question of of of, of uh, uh, desire being closely associated in the play. I think with disgust uh, and anxiety. Um, uh, there's the question of the um, uh, the plague in the play, which causes which is uh, developed from uh, um, Sophocles from the um, original, and the. Um, uh, the plague causes the winter of discontent, which was the uh, which came within the period of um, uh, Thatcher's early um, early um, sojourn at Downing Street, and um, the uh, uh, it's the plague is not so much I think again it's about it's not necessary to be read as a kind of mere account of social upheaval. Um, uh, or sorry, it's meant to be more as an account of social upheaval, I should, I should say, um, but in a very far full sense. And it's not sort of the idea that um, some sort of um, social commentary whereby we're sort of looking to move uh, a, a, another type of play might look at this uh, as a kind of, um, as an, use this as a narrative of progress. Uh, uh, to uh, do to provide social commentary as a lot of writers political writers were doing at, at the time this is the kind of very metaphorical um uh, uh sense of, of of the plague as being a kind of um social ill and breakdown which is uh which is at large and in that sense maggot thatcher as she's called as he, as he calls her is a kind of uh, is a, an agent of organic decay uh, the question of fantasy, of course, um, drives the uh, play uh, very much. It is, I would say, the engine and uh, of 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 his writing, um, and um, uh, and it, when he's going out to what he calls Skid Row, Heathrow, he, uh, on the train, he he notices that uh, then I awoke and rudely saw the world just as it is. But um, uh, fantasy is not in for Burkhoff, I think, is not just a supplement, you know, it's, it's um, oh, you know, it's a, it's a nice fantasy or dream, but it is actually, I think, an animating principle of, um, of his engagement with, uh, with, with the world. Word and action, um, I think, uh, one of the things he's trying to do is to, is, is, is one of the fantasies he's pursuing, in fact, is to try to um, fuse language uh, with action or and, and indeed infuse one with the other. Um, and uh, the uh, the great example of that, of course, the fight in the cafe with the dad. There was no, there's no. Um, uh, we can talk later, perhaps, about how this this play is staged because it is just it is as it is. It's, it's words on a page without stage directions. Uh, but in the fight in the cafe, uh, they literally they just shout words at each other: hit, hurt, crunch, pain, stab, jab. Um, forgive the 
Cockney accent or lack thereof. Um, and then his, the, uh, the, um, the, the manager's wife, uh, uh, who he's trying to woo, turns to him and says, um, I never realised words could kill. Uh, so then as this, this come back, of course, to the whole mind-body question, um, uh, which uh, runs uh, through the play. Um, and there's a nice line in it when he when he picks up his uh, the um, his uh, not yet knowing it's his mother. She pulls out this teddy bear and hands it to him, and uh, because something about him that uh, reminds uh, uh, reminds her of um, of, of, of the, the loss of her child um, years before. And um, when he takes the uh, the, the the teddy bear, um, he says. Um, uh, uh, it's as, as if my body knew the feel of Rufus the teddy bear, um, whereas my mind um, could not. Um, and then finally, there's the question of fate, uh, which runs through the play, and um, uh, the uh, and 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 in Sophocles. And I think that either fate is the idea of of, of uh, life uh, being something which is um, uh, outside your control and is a and is a traumatic experience or as he puts it um you know fate it keeps the shit um uh it keeps it it, it gives you the shit but also the gold now there's a few sort of contextual stuff i want uh, to put to set alongside that and it's certainly in terms of what interests me not just about this play but about uh, about uh about writing at a theoretical level and uh you know writing and theory have a kind of um have an uneasy relationship because at the end of the day you can't write in theory you've got to can only write in practice um though and one of the um uh things that i think that i'm not sure that um Berkhoff himself ever um took it on uh, but it's definitely there, and he and uh, uh, and certainly Nietzsche took it on in talking about um, uh, Greek tragedy in, in his um, famous essay, *The Birth of Tragedy*, uh, in which he distinguishes between the uh, the, the 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 Apollonian, or shall we say, broadly rational um, um, pro, um, uh, understanding of um, tragedy and the Dionysian, essentially uh, the kind of um, destructive um, forces that, um, that that bring characters down in tragedy so these are the distinctions between um if you might say individuation uh, of the hero and dissolution of the hero the um uh, the idea of the, the story as dream um versus intoxication um and reason versus myth um the dionysian satire according to uh, nietzsche dwells in a in a reality that is sanctioned by myth expressing the idea that life is a, is at bottom indestructibly joyful and powerful and i think that that is a very much a kind of uh, notion which uh, which uh, underpins um Berkhoff's writing um a tragic character uh, writes uh, nietzsche is uh, um is a character who is like hamlet uh, discovering uh, that um uh, that uh, no action of theirs can change the world uh, or change the change the way things are um, and that uh, in this way, understanding of the world kills uh, kills action. Um, this is something obviously which would be, um, I'm sure, would be hotly disputed by uh, by uh, many, and uh, it's worth perhaps drilling down later into what it really precisely means by that. Um, instead, tragedy itself offers the uh, apprehension of truth uh, and its terror, the ghastly absurdity of existence. 
the satire, uh, the satire, I should say, the um, man goat in, uh, in 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 tragedy uh, character is is has the uh, has its uh, connection with the life force, um, and in, uh, in which nature can save the hero by reconnecting them um, through revelry and ritual, ritual uh, to nature and to um, uh, things eternal. The uh, Dionysian uh, offers um, a kind of uh, the uh, Dionysian, I should say, understanding of uh, tragedy offers a kind of cleansing of the what, what uh, um, Nietzsche calls the illusion of culture, revealing the truth of our nature and the pretensions. Uh, oh, sorry, and the pretentious lie of civilization. Um, his words, not mine. Uh, although I kind of wouldn't mind if they were obviously um enchantment um is the precondition of all uh, dramatic art uh, writes uh, nietzsche and the um, dionysian reveler sees themselves um as a a, a satyr and um in turn uh sees the god uh, dionysus uh and it's uh, tragedy in this way is um allows for the um what he calls the apollonian embodiment of dionysian insights and powers giving form to the world and the and the formless apollonian masks allow us to peer into the dionysian uh the the, the dionysian horror of nature and achieve uh, serenity um, is, the, is um his understanding of that but that serenity uh not uh not in a sense of complacence but in the sense but in the sense of um uh, balance i suppose now, um, finally, I just wanted to look at the, have a quick canter through some of Artaud's um, uh, ideas. Antonin Artaud, born in 1896, died in 1948, I believe. And he um, was uh, a French um, uh, thinker and um, uh, playwright. His plays aren't particularly well known or, or uh, necessarily highly regarded, but his writing especially in the book called The Theatre and Its Double, are highly regarded, and they were very highly regarded in the 60s and 70s in particular. And um, Arto was um, interested uh, in the, um, uh, the catastrophic um, uh, social breakdown triggered by plague in, in uh, medieval times. Um, and um, he was interested in the way that, that the effect that this has on society, and he, he was interested in, in, in transposing that effect or, or paralleling that effect that how he felt theater should um, should work so social boundaries became for him fluid um, uh, under plague and uh, with the um, subversion of all morality and there is a, um, a breakdown for him a welcome breakdown for him of psychology in a giddy wasting away of matter um, he calls the um, the pointlessness of looting he, he, uh, in in of uh, shops where, where where commodities have no value because nobody uh, has any ability to, to to buy or exchange them. But nonetheless, looting will continue. And he saw this as um, a way uh, this as an uh, as a kind of uh, a corollary or as, as an as a, a what he calls a precondition to the way the theatre should be. Um, also, in uh, somehow kind of extravagantly useless. Um, Theatre can only happen in uh, in the in the moment um, where the inconceivable really begins, and poetry superheats symbols. A real stage play um, uh, upsets sensual trans tranquility. He says, "Theatre um, is like plague, not because it is contagious, be because it is a revelation." Um, 
exposing cruelty and perversity. It urges the mind um, to delirium. Theatre should be physical, anarchic, dissolving. We must not ask whether theatre can define thought, but whether it makes us think. Um, he was also particularly um, set against the idea of masterpieces. Um, and um, uh, masterpieces he considered to be literary uh, objects. Um, that is to say, um, there were set forms that no longer answering the needs of the times. Shakespeare's um, cult, the Shakespeare cult um, in particular for him, separates art from life and, um, uh, and, and reifies it and fossilizes the, um, uh, the, 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 um, the, the people who it is set before. Um, so we are not free. The sky can fall uh, uh, on our heads. Theatre is made to teach us this, he says. Um, everyday love, ambition uh, and worries are worthless except in relation to the awful lyricism of myth. And when he says awful lyricism, of course, he doesn't mean um, uh, really bad lyricism, but uh, of course, but the, 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 in the sense of awe, so uh, awe and wonder, so the awful lyricism of myth. Uh, cruelty is a key word for him, and he advocates what they call the theatre of cruelty. And cruelty by cruelty, he meant a hungering after life, which I think is very much what we see um, in, um, in Burkhoff. Um, and um, and Burkhoff, of course, was an actor himself. And of um, acting, uh, Arto said that the, the, a belief in the soul's flowing substantiality is essential to the actor's craft. And that, that definitely is the case for Burkhoff um, in his, his own faith in histrionic ritual. Now, um, that is just about it. But I, I wanted to go back to where uh, I started with those questions, just to kind of... Um, um, uh, to sort of um, be sure that um, uh, all of that, that uh, all of those points are kind of uh, are, are tied to um, are, are motivated, shall we say? Uh, the, so again, the um, who are we and, uh, and what do we want? Um, I, I suppose that we uh, that we all have a hypothesis about um, about who we are, um, but I think that uh, that, that theatre can expose that. Um, uh, those masks that we wear um, and um, uh, the, uh, the way that we, uh, the, the perversion in the way that perhaps that uh, we, we, we cling to them and, um, and, and uh, hold them to be um, some kind of um, truth. Um, should tragedy, uh, 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 an art be, um, uh, be corrective uh, or should they, uh, should they have moral purpose or is it, um, or, or should it be more concerned with the suspension of these questions? This is something that perhaps we would like to talk about. Um, the question of the libido um, being too narrowly defined as merely, a, merely sex drive, I think it, it is better as life force, but I think I, I'm tempted to call it, uh, to, to, to call it creative libido, but that modifier creative seems to me to be a little bit weak and, um, uh, and craven in that context. So, um, I think that uh, a creative energy is a kind of uh, libidinal energy, and I think that I'd like to hang on to that idea. Um, people uh, talk of art as being uh, life-affirming, um, and I think that um, that's something that's often said about um, Burkhoff. We can see whether people agree with that. How do um, uh, how does the cerebral and the physical the physical world um, um, connect? Um, uh, is this uh, and is this what maybe what we mean by uh, something being uh, played, being life-affirming, by the fact that somehow 
we experience our, um, the, our minds and bodies somehow being um, physically um, uh, united and uh, uplifted um, by spectacle of ideas. Uh, just finally, nearly finished, is, is art and theatre um, a space where we can um, suspend ethical moral judgments or engage with them or both? Um, the, um, uh, um, is, is the point of art to traumatise or consult? To be clear about that, what I mean about it is don't actually traumatise necessarily, but to actually, but to, to raise questions which, which might, um, people might find traumatic and, 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 and distressing or disturbing. Um, and I, th I think that connects to Dr. Johnson's idea that um, art should perhaps should be, um, uh, the purpose of it is the better to enjoy life or the better to, uh, as you put it, endure it. Um, obscenity, again, I think this is a key question I'd like to certainly like to talk about is whether obscenity and transgression um, has, been, um, uh, has been stolen um, from us as a kind of transgressive um, strategy by, um, by people like... Uh, um, uh, Donald Trump and so on, who are uh, openly obscene, you know, in, in terms of their, their content. Um, and then finally, can art change the world? Should it try? And what do we mean by uh, by that, changing the world? Um, I think that crucially, you could say, what is the world? Um, and who are we in it? Which um, comes back to my original, fundamental primal question, who are we and what do we want? Okay, unmute. Give our round of applause to our um, speaker. Um, hang on a second, unmute, unmute, unmute all. Yes. So thanks ever so much for that. Because my, because oh, my wife is on mute. The, um, yes. say, look, I'm sorry, I'm the unlovely wife. I've just finished my em Zoom Pilates class. Coming an empty glass of beer, about as much as you've at the <laughs> Okay. Um, so, all right, um, I am going to just ask Patrick a couple of questions because um, I wanted him to talk a little bit more about his own uh, work, actually, and how it, how it feeds out of this. I mean, I think there's a lot of, what, Patrick, a lot of what you've said, um, I can kind of see that that uh, informs your work. And one of the things reading the Burkhoff um, you know, reading Greek and having seen your plays, um, I could see that kind of vigor, if you like, that um, of language that um, comes to, comes out of Greek um, is also is something that's within your plays. But I don't know if you want to say anything more about that in relation, I suppose, particularly in relation to the language, which always seems very important um, in your own uh, writing, um, but also. Uh, maybe something like the use of set, set and setting, because the plays that I've seen in um, the Arcola, the sets are, you know, um, obviously working with a very uh, basic auditorium, not lots of technology as you get in the West End theatre. Um, and I noticed with the um, Burkhoff's Greek, you know, he's basically using a table and four chairs as his set. And so I also sort of thought maybe there was something there that's sort of like a kind of, um, is that a matter of principle that you use a, a set that doesn't distract too much? Is language the most important element? I don't know. Say a little bit more about your plays and how maybe Burkhoff inspired, inspired you in, that, in the way you work. Uh, 
yeah i i think that for me that i i just i do i love language and i like strong language on stage and i think that it's it's had a bit of a um a, a, a rough ride since shakespeare i think some people say that shakespeare ran out um off stage because everyone felt too kind of feeble by comparison um i mean you know it's it, obviously there's kind of um much more to it than that but i but i love colorful language and i want to write in a way uh, that that uh, that allowed to do that. So it's a it's a question of, um, of of just wanting to write freely and you know kind of a bit wildly perhaps in that way. And uh, and I suppose also that has to go with um, uh, that has to be you have to find a subject matter to go um, uh, with that. Um, uh, I suppose and. Um, uh, you know, when I first saw this play, Greek, you know, this, you know, uh, it made me realise that it was possible to write using, um, uh, it was allowed to use language which was uh, wild and colourful and wasn't literally just trying to imitate life as it um, appears um, somehow. The question of staging, I think, is, um, uh, is quite, is very much led by, um, uh, quite often what you can afford um, frankly you know um, what you can get away with um, but also the, it, then turn that into a kind of magic or enchantment so that you can turn uh, familiar objects into um, into something else but um, uh, and that's I think is more a question of therefore of keying into the imagination and setting the imagination free um, uh, in that in order to, I think to open up our um, perhaps idealistically our understanding of of the of the world as um, uh, that we're in okay good all right I'm going to ask other people to um, uh, put up their hands I see this hand already which is very uh, good um, so I'll ask Kerry to speak but other people feel free to put up your hands as I say with any um, question that you, you sort of have or anything you want to say. Yep. Kerry? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you. Pat am I am I audible? Yep. Okay. Um, thank you, Patrick. That was really interesting. I haven't read Greek, but you have inspired me to go and read it. So that's probably a really good thing um, for my small brain. I have seen, um, I think, most of your plays and I found them brilliant and hilarious. And for me, knowing the minimal amount I do about Burkhoff, it hasn't been about the colorful language necessarily, or the staging particular, particularly, which I think you've answered in terms of economy, um, <clears throat> but the failure to, um, or the challenge to moralizing that seems to me to be so evident in the plays I've seen that it's not just, um, I mean, I, from what I understand, uh, Greek is about, you know, Thatcherite decline in morality or whatever, or there's an element of that supposedly in it. But your plays, um, my favorite terms and conditions, perhaps that I saw at the White Bears, perhaps less well known, made me cry laughing. The one, if I've got the name right, the one with the guy in the cellar, um, which was so, so good. I thought that it, that what seems to be akin to Burkhoff is that 
uh, we're forced to step out, step outside uh, the moral universe. We're supposed, forced to question, you know, what's what's really going on here and what's moral, and what's not. Yet you don't seem to ever take sides. And you, as in Keith, for example, which I also thought was brilliant and hilarious, you don't take sides, and you're not telling us what we should and shouldn't do, but allowing us to question our own moral conviction and whether that actually matters. And I think that's what's, to me, a little bit akin to Burkhoff. I don't know if that's true or just how I see it. But what I love is that you do that and you can get under people's skin um, without hectoring and telling us what we should and shouldn't think. And I think that's the exciting thing that theatre for me opens up whether it can change the world, I've always wanted it to. I seriously have my doubts, but I do think it can stick a big pin in pomposity, which is no bad thing. Thanks, Kerry. That was a really useful point. And actually, it does, does raise um, for me that question about uh, morality, because one of the things about um, uh, this particular, uh, about Greek, is the way it completely subverts the tragedy. Um, which, you know, in Sophocles' play, um, you know, there's a very deep moral element. You know, somebody, um, Oedipus, has upset the moral universe and he must suffer and his mother-wife must suffer as a result of that. And um, uh, Burkhoff decides to enter the play in a kind of spirit of joy and say, to hell with it, I love her. Um, and love trumps all kind of thing. Why shouldn't it? Why should we go according to these... Um, oh, sort of like, you know, the, the mores of society. So it's a kind of, I think that's a big question that is raised by his play about that, the sense of kind of, you know, moral. Is he immoral, amoral, or is there an underlying moral message? I love Trump's all. Is that what his morality is? Um, I think it's quite a, a sort of like a, an, an interesting question. So I've got some, Jenny, do put your hands up because what I'm going to do is Ray, um, take a few questions and then ask, um, uh, and then to ask Patrick to answer, you know, whatever he would like at any points that he'd like to kind of come back on. And we'll take a few rounds of that. So, um, Jenny, unmute Jenny. Uh, are you there, Jenny? Yes, I am. Good. Um, I, was, I felt very ambiguously about uh, Greek, I must say. It, um, it, it followed uh, the, the Sophocles, um, Oedipus Rex, um, very, very closely, actually, until the final denouement, where, in fact, it doesn't end in traditional tragedy, but, in fact, um, ends with a hero who is, um, even by today's standards, um, a little immoral, if you like, in the sense that he has committed uh, murder and he um, is, is convinced that his love overcomes any prohibitions on uh, uh, marriage and intercourse between family members, close family members, and you couldn't get closer really um, than, than mother and son. But I, I felt in, I, I was really, really disappointed by that because um, at the end of the day, 
I found an awful lot of the language very stereotyped and anti-working class somehow. I mean, it was a bit of a caricature often, um, you know, of, of, of working class life and, and, and sort of working class ambitions and that. But the thing was, th there was kind of no moral ambiguity, which I suppose is, is really what we identify with the strength um, of Greek tragedy that moral ambiguity where the, um, you know, it throws up a pretty kind of traumatic, um, you know, series of questions. And the hero and the victim, if you like, are not unambiguously moral, good or bad. It's, it's that ambiguity that really, I suppose, you know, um, the Greeks and, and particularly Aristotle said was the, the, the fundamental thing was to throw the audience into questioning a moral dilemma. And so having followed the Sophocles plays so directly, it, it came to an end, which I, I just found was so unsatisfactory, it didn't raise any moral questions um, at all or any ambiguity in that sense. Um, so it left me very unsatisfied. I do take your point about the language. It's, it is very challenging, but at the end of the day, I was left feeling it was a little bit old fashioned um, and, and very anti-working class, in fact. Okay. Uh, Andrew, unmuting you. You okay? Thanks, and um, thanks, Patrick, for uh, reminding us so forcefully of the uh, forcefulness of Burkhoff and um, and all that physicality, uh, even in language it, itself. Um, <clears throat> but I do think Jenny's also got a point that there is something a bit. Um, uh, for all the strength, there is a point where the strength <laughs> becomes kind of one-dimensional, or or the or the um, the equivalent of a kind of one-chord band. I, I mean, I, and I, I, yeah, I'm saying this. I don't mean to be overly critical because I, I do think your reprise of of the virtue of this kind of work is is, is well said and and well put. But there is a point where Burkhoff kind of reminds me of that moment in the in the Enid Blyton novel where the where she says and so and so pinched themselves to make sure they were awake and it it does feel a bit like he tries to do that to the audience over and over again to say wake up um, and um, you know feel the force and after a time the shock of it turns to if you're not careful it turns to slock uh, rather than being shocking and there's also a, as well as the um anti-working class undertone um uh because it verges on well it goes into caricature um uh but you know so do pulp novels there's you could do a phd thesis on how some of this is like those suede head skinhead novels but that's another story but the, i think there is also a bit of anti-dualism in it, as in ideas, big ideas associated with democracy, they've run their course. Let's just get physical 
Um, we won't do theatre that debates. We'll do theatre that you can feel. You know, feel feel the force, feel the the blood, and um, I think it's. I think that's an important element in art in theatre. Um, I think it's very good that you've reminded us of it. Um, but it'd be a, it, it would be one-dimensional necessarily. Um, is, and I think sometimes with of that is all you are left with. Uh, and I'd like to see more. Okay, thanks. Do you want to come back um, on some of these points now, Patrick? Yeah, sure. Give me a second. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, uh, I don't disagree with any anything anybody um, said. Uh, but I would. Uh, I think that uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I think if you go, we don't. We, you, you must not, and I would strongly discourage anyone from going anywhere near Stephen Burkoff for moral instruction. Um, and um, I mean, his his own uh, personal life has been a total uh, train wreck, really, in a lot of respects. And uh, the, the the actual narratives in his um, in his uh, his plays, really, you know, are, would be um, you know worthless as kind of you know how how should we in terms of how should we behave. But actually, rather, I think it's what he's doing is is, is actually um, uh, escaping um, from that. So there's definitely, if you want moral ambiguity, you must go somewhere else. You know, is what I would say. So, so um, the question of murder, for example, that comes up, and there is this, this murder. And yeah, I mean, amusingly, he he kills the husband, and then immediately has the uh, bunk, has the bunk up with the wife. And um, she's delighted by the fact that he's gone and they live in a consequenceless moral universe. This is just doesn't, these normal rules, it's not they don't apply, it's just that they don't even exist. The, um, we're, we're in some other um, realm here that you can just, there's no, the police don't turn up at the end of Act 2 and arrest him. This is just not that kind of um, uh, universe, you know, it's not a whodunit. Um, Anti-working class. Absolutely, yeah, it is, and uh, I, I think that uh, he came from. He's writing about his own background, and I think there is a lot of self-loathing um, written in there for sure. And I think that that self-loathing is a kind of energy. It's an ugly energy, and again, that's what I was talking about with the kind of uh, creative um, libido. It's sort of maybe not something that sits comfortably um, with us, but actually, I think is something which uh, it, it is nonetheless powers the the writing. Um, and I think what you get, therefore, is a kind of um, uh, is, is caricature, absolutely, in the way that those old see uh, you don't see them too much anymore because they're sort of regarded as being politically incorrect. Those cease carry on um, film type um, seaside um, postcards. So what is what we're getting here instead is the joy of of, of exaggeration and uh, and of caricature and of uh, um, a sort of Rabelaisian, a Rabelaisian, Dionysian. Um, energy, which is uh, obscene and disgusting and, and gross and, and infantile, frankly. I mean, you know, if you want, this is not Ibsen. Uh, and I would say, uh, in, in yes, it's one dimensional uh, in, 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 in one sense. But if you want Ibsen, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's on a lot. Okay. Um, any other questions? I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I, mm, the question of moral ambiguity. I thought, I mean, it's not, the play is 
So, so I, the play's not morally ambiguous in the sense that he, um, as I indicated earlier, I think, is that he kind of appears to be completely amoral. But because we live in such a moral world, what he is suggesting, you know, that immorality, you know, that love, love trumps all kind of thing is kind of shocking. And one would assume that at some level he's, um, uh, you know, he, he lives in this world. So, you know, is, is it that he's kind of fantasizing about a better, in his view, amoral world? Or is he by creating this kind of uh, amoral universe within the play, um, is he trying to do something that kind of, you know, throws back at us our morality and makes us think a little bit harder about it. So I, I suppose that's kind of one question I would have. I think the other thing about the kind of, the, the story that he uses and, and um, abuses, that's for sure. Um, I mean, he, he writes in the introduction to the play that he doesn't want, um, you know, it didn't feel right to end it in the same way that Sophocles wrote it. So he stayed very close to the play, as Jenny said. But in the end, he wanted, um, it didn't seem to fit with the character, you know. So he was writing about a, a particular character who wasn't entirely, I mean, I suppose that's the tension, isn't it? It's sort of like the, so Oedipus and, and the Greek heroes are kind of, um, they are, representatives or symbols they're not real characters and in a way um eddie is a real character i mean albeit kind of idealized or you know not not entirely three-dimensional but there is something quite real about him he's writing in a real um he's, he's living in the real world as it was in the 1980s with a particular um presence in that world so yeah, I'm, I just wonder whether it's something that we, you know, sort of, um, that, you know, what Burke, I, I guess what I'm slightly disagreeing with is kind of Jenny, what you're saying about, you know, that it, it was, it's a sort of a, um, it's an aberration of what Sophocles was doing. I think that what Burkhoff was trying to do was, was think about the world in which we're living in now. And there was a lot, there's a lot of political protest in that, a lot of, criticism of the world we're in, a lot of kind of rejection of, of that. Um, so as a playwright, he's, he's bringing that to our, our attention. Um, anyway, I've, any other hands? Anybody else want to? Oh yes, uh, Kerry, uh, yes. Other people, feel free to raise your hands. But anyway, Kerry, yes, go on. Oh, sorry, I haven't done you first. Okay, there you go. Uh just to bring it back to you, Patrick, can you tell us what you're writing now? Are you working on a new play? Uh, if so, please tell us about it. And secondly, I was, um, I think you're completely right about Burkhoff's life. And uh, uh, I just wondered if you knew any more about his, I know he's written a play about Weinstein, Harvey. I don't think it's happened. I don't know if it's happened. Or if anyone's ever going to put it on, I don't, or if it's even been published. But I just thought that would be quite interesting, um, if you know any more about that. 
I was appalled to read that he'd um, sued Julie Burchill for, you know, referring to him as ugly, which is just really hilarious. And how narcissistic can you be? But I think Burkhoff's always been very much a part of that. And I do think, Jenny, and you're both right about how anti-working classes uh, characters or caricatures are, but I think, you know, it reflects his thinking, but that I shouldn't, I don't see that as necessarily taking away from the merits of a great play, you know. I think we, we have to consider, do we go and see theatre and a play to just because it necessarily reinforces our own thinking, or are we prepared to go and see a play that has a, a view of the world that we don't necessarily like, but is of, you know, has merit uh, in and of itself, or, or is something that's up for discussion. And I, I hope we would do that. And we do actually probably do it all the time with loads of what we would go and see or listen to or music or anything else and suspend our political judgment um, for its duration, maybe, or maybe just the, getting angry at Burkhoff for his stereotyping EastEnders, who he sees as a, as, as a mob, really, um, is something that just makes us then think, no, it's not, we need something different. Thanks, Kerry. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Rachel to speak next. Um, just a kind of question to throw out to the, the people in the audience, I suppose it is, um, all these little videos. Uh, is whether there's anybody else in the audience who sort of are, are um, writers or playwrights because um, there might be some interesting things, elements, you know, do, if, you've, if you've got questions from a professional, you know, professionally related questions, feel free to ask them as well. Yeah, there you go, Rachel. Hi, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. And um, just before it started, I mentioned um, that I had seen uh, Kvetch, which um, was a play by Burkhoff in the late 1980s. Um, you know, and I was late teenager at the time. And um, I mean, Patrick told me it wasn't a very good play. I honestly can't remember what it was about. But what I can remember is how physical the whole experience was. And Burkhoff's presence and life force was you know, so impactful. It's, you know, I can remember it now as this sensation. And, you know, we're talking like 30 years ago. And there's something really interesting to me about that. Um, I mean, you know, the fact I can't remember the story that does um, connect to what people have been saying about, you know, the content and the fact that it's almost... I wouldn't say devoid of content, but maybe that isn't his main purpose. Um, so I'm sort of interested in this idea that art um, and sort of not just writers or playwrights, but uh, visual artists have sort of moved into um, creating installations in galleries. So like in Tate Modern Turbine Hall, there's quite often huge installations and the emphasis there is on um, the viewer or the visitor having this complete experience um, and personally I don't always like those because I feel that it's slightly um, fairground in the sort of sense that it's 
just about how you experience it at the time. Uh, but maybe that's because those particular works weren't, didn't connect with me on a cerebral level as well. Um, so really it's just a, an open question about um, why are artists doing this, exploring this avenue of the sort of physical, the experiential and um, moving perhaps away from the more content driven and uh, intellectual side of art? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it relates to something you were saying um, to me earlier, Patrick, about the, this kind of play just wouldn't be um, uh, staged these days. And um, I kind of wondered about that. I mean, I, I, I can sort of like, at one level, you know, a question is, is it dated? Is there a sort of like, a, you know, set in the eighties and, and that kind of thing, is there a kind of a, a, a dated element to it? I, I, when I read it, I didn't feel it was dated per se. Um, but I think there is that sort of question, you know, but, but there is that sort of thing about well, how shocking is it now um, compared to what it would have been then because what we've had is, you know, 30 years since then of kind of relativism. And though the moral climate seems to be clamping down now around kind of the ideas of political correctness and that sort of thing, um, that is very different from the old, well, is it different? Uh, it has a kind of slightly different shape to the old kind of Victorian morality that um, perhaps he was challenging. Um, yeah, so I think it's a sort of, it is that kind of the question of the, is the physicality of it, is his, his approach, is it's now something that in fact is much more embedded in the art world as, as Rachel suggests, or, or is it sort of, um, and in a way why, you know, what would it be like? Would there be an audience for this kind of, for his, this play today, if, if somebody was to put it on? Uh, like if you were to direct it for the Arcola, would they, uh, would they show it? Would people have come? I don't know what you think about that, perhaps. Um, I, what I suggest now is because there um, aren't any questions uh, lined up here. Oh, Jenny just put in a question. Okay. Uh, anybody else want to sort of just ask a question, basic or complex? Do you want to say something now? Better? Well, if I may, just uh, following yeah. from what you said, um, because I think that. Uh, you know, if we're, we are based in our judgment of something that we saw 30 years ago, I think that we shouldn't. You know, 30 years ago, um, um, I, um, I can remember that I was another person in terms of, uh, you know, being, uh, um, um, what is, uh, um, um, in, you know, receiving impressions that are completely different from now. And in fact, you know, reading a book now, that I read 30 years ago, I, I have a totally different type of take. So that would be interesting to revisit, you know, that particular, you know, experience. And, um, and then I'm, I'm always, uh, I have always problems of um, judging, you know, I, I don't understand how to deal with it because um, if Berkhoff, okay, I don't know him, but if he was the first one, you know, to enter in this new type of, as we are mentioning it, physicality. I think that uh, it has some merits 
Now, from what you are saying, yes, I want to read it, but no, I don't want to read it. It's a, it's a sort of, you know, what, what do I find there? Uh, if it has a no um, moral, not moral message, because I like the moral message, but it, it looks very, very much, uh, as you said, Patrick, infantile sometimes. And would I like to go there now? Mm, I don't know. But if he really represented something new at that time, I think that it, that would be very, very interesting to explore and see what it was. This is what one first consideration. The second consideration is how do we connect theater with art? Because, you know, I'm starting to understand the figurative art, poetry, and literature as such, like the novel. But the theater, so how do we judge a theater in terms of a work of art? Do we, um, um, I know that we have to see it in its entirety, but I think that uh, for some reason, you know, language and how the words are put together and, and how it sounds, um, that is a very, very part of uh, defining theater as a work of art. Am I right? Am I wrong? And, um, you know, that. Okay, well, Oscar Wilde said that um, theatre was where all the arts met. So, <laughs> anyway, okay, so I've got a nice little flurry of hands here now. So I'm going to ask Gail to speak next, and then Jenny and then Andrew. Um, and there's still time to put up hands, or if there are no further hands, I'll ask Patrick to come back and make his final responses. But um, Gail. Yep. Okay, thank you. Um, Patrick, that was great. I really enjoyed your introduction. Um, you mentioned about obscenity and transgression, and the question was, has it been stolen? Um, I'd like you to kind of elaborate on that a bit more, um, if you can, in your uh, final address. Um, that's it. Thank you. Okay, thanks, girl. Um, Jenny? Uh, hang on, let me unmute. Jenny? Right. Um, I wanted actually to ask um, about uh, your, your current plays, Patrick. Um, get, get away from, from Burkhoff just for a minute, although, um, I, as Kerry said, I, I, can, I can see reflections of him in, in your uh, delight you know, with, with language and, and, and so forth. But I suppose the, the question I'm quite interested in was this idea, I don't know if you raised it or Kerry raised it, about whether or not um, you take a position on things um, or, and related to that, is there sort of a moral or, or a political aspect to your plays? And I have, I admit, only read uh, two, two of your plays. The one is Keith and the other is The Great Apes. And The Great Apes, um, I suppose I should admit that I hated the book, but I thought your play was a brilliant interpretation of the book, actually. And I was sorry, I never saw it in performance because I think, I think that's a vital element, really, of, of, of theatre is the performance and how that language 
actually marries with character and 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 with presentation but i, I suppose um you you might want to comment on whether or not there, there was any any political undertone to the great apes it was certainly one i disagreed with in 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 the book um but keith like Kerry, I thought was delightful. I laughed from beginning to end. I thought it was great. And then at the end of it, I asked myself, is that because I'm so anti-political correctness? Um, because I felt that it, it was needling, it was needling woke, woke people. It was needling politically correct people. And was that just one, you know, audience or reader's uh, response to it? Or was it intentional? Because your language came very, very close um, to my ideas of being anti-work and anti-political correctness. Thanks, Jenny, good questions. Okay, um, Andrew, you're now, oh, you're unmuted already, go ahead. Thanks, yeah. Patrick, I think you were quite right to come by. Well, exaggeration is a perfectly legitimate way of doing theatre uh, or, or any other kind of art. And the more I think about it, the more there's a kind of, I think, Baroque character to Burkhoff and, 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 and everything about him. Um, I suppose my only um, what about complaint is um, I'd... I'm in search of art that can be not multimedia, but multimodal, so that you could have exaggeration um, in, in one moment and, um, and minimalism the next. And um, to have artists who have the confidence to, to take us. Um, but I would like to register how I think you're really onto something with the, um, well, what you use it by saying, by, by reference to the obscenity, and isn't there something just lewd and obscene about Donald Trump and just, you know, he doesn't even have to open his mouth, it's just the way he walks like some faded porn star or whatever. Um, and I, I, I do think um, you're, you're onto something really strong there because it strikes me that, um, that one of the things that Trump represents is a hostility to to ideas of, of, of any serious kind. So um, it's let's get physical and let's be exaggerated about it. And it is, what he does is, is all the time a kind of exaggerated performance, uh, which has a kind of, you know, there's a bit of ballet about, about the slouch. Um, and in that respect, I, th I think there's something loose about him that Burkhoff would, um, would be quite proud of. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Okay, Patrick, um, uh, over to you. What, what I'll do is once you've um, finished uh, rounding up and we've given you a well-deserved round of applause, um, I'll um, leave the meeting open for a bit and just see if anybody wants to kind of add anything, you know, more informally without me chairing it. We'll see how that goes. Um, okay, so over to you, Patrick. Um, uh, um, yeah, well, there's a lot to a lot to respond to um, there. Um, so, um, uh, in fact, so I've got I've taken a lot of notes in that, and I, I think I may be um, um, 
I've lost track of some of it, but I'll try to um, uh, get backpedaling a, a while. I think that um, I think that the way to understand uh, this play, this Burkhoff play, certainly is is a it is a kind of form of wish fulfillment, and I mean that in the kind of the full Freudian um, sense. Um, and it's a bit like I had a dream last night, and I was, um, you know, it was the dream of Oedipus and so on, and so it, it comes up that. So, um, and I, I think that, that therefore it needs to be understood in a. We need to kind of surrender some of our usual um, uh, frameworks for um, assessing and re and responding to something. I understand some people will be reluctant to do that for very good reasons, and uh, you know this is not um, this is this is not for everybody. I think that uh, to to sum up what I what I love about Burkhoff, um and what I find what I'm delighted to find that I still love about him actually, and I was I had it was great fun going through this today and re-engaging with these ideas of uh, Nietzsche and Artaud and Burkhoff and so on, and I realised that this is actually it remains a kind of, um, a, you know, um, uh, a fountain um, uh, of inspiration. And it's a, it's a world away from where we are to, today. And I can't imagine this being produced now. I think for a whole variety of reasons. I think some of his personal transgressions, someone said <clears throat> that someone had, uh, he had been, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. He had, there'd been a, a rape allegation or something like that. <coughs> and, um, <coughs> sorry, losing it. Hopefully that will do. <clears throat> and um, his 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 plays are, are pretty. Um, <clears throat> God, here we go. Uh, this is not supposed to happen. <clears throat> and his his his, um, his a lot of his um, personal behaviour has been appalling. You know, frankly, and I don't think anyone should model himself on the behaviour of the, the characters in his plays. So, but what there is uh, in something, even if you like. Um, wicked people, you know, uh, are, are right about some things. For example, that the Earth goes around the sun, you know, and um, the uh, so his <clears throat> he needs to be understood. I think in in certain ways he wouldn't get performed because of his personal history, because of a lot of the views that he seems to express, endorse, or promote, or or even just give airtime to in this place. So I think it would it would be. But what rem still, nonetheless, what he what he does, and what I find that so many contemporary writers are completely completely without, they are completely out of, out of touch with their creative libidos. And so you get this kind of dry, dreary moral puritanism and um, everybody's scared to step out of line, you know. And um, uh, and even there's this kind of way that there's a, there's a formula for stepping out of line, that it actually this is you step out of line in a kind of very, um, uh, you know, prescribed kind of manner. So is um, someone mentioned the word aberrant, is, is Burkhoff aberrant? Yeah, you're damn right. He's uh, absolutely, I think that's a, a very a very good description of Burkhoff. And the idea of him writing a Harvey Weinstein play is uh, very, very disturbing, to be quite honest. Um, and so Burkhoff, physicality, yes, this is something we haven't particularly discussed, but he was, of course, the uh, the godfather of physical theatre and and most was most probably the single um, uh, uh, most closely associated figure with uh, physical theatre. A lot of physical theatre kind of devolved into kind of lots of other kind of um, surrogate forms, but he had his own very distinctive style, which was kind of um, uh, histrionic and ritualised and, and highly disciplined and ceremonious. Um, uh, so there was, um, uh, uh, you know, a, 
a, a whole other dimension which we haven't perhaps touched on um, um, sufficiently. Uh, uh, but as, a, um, uh, as, as was said, I mean, his, his physical presence as an actor was um, uh, enormously powerful and, uh, and intoxicating and, and not many people could do Burkhoff as well as Burkhoff. You know? um, I mean, th that might sound obvious, but actually plenty of uh, writers um, who appear or direct in their, their own work don't do it as well as other people in actual fact. Um, this question of obscenity, it is something which is not entirely formed in my own mind, I'll, 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 I'll be honest with you, but it has been something which has been percolating and bubbling um, uh, it, uh, uh, in, in my mind. And it's based largely on, I think, uh, uh, a kind of an empirical observation that there's a lot of uh, disgusting people in power at the moment behaving disgustingly. And um, the uh, the idea of propriety uh, in public office, uh, in many people cases, seems to have completely gone out of the window. I sort of, it, one of the terms that it really kind of, uh, I mean, it's always been hypocrisy. Uh, you know, people living by double standards, but this is something else. I don't know if you recall the David Cameron, the story merging him, him about sodomizing a dead pig in one of the things. I think this is the British Prime Minister we're talking about, isn't it? It's quite remarkable that we're using this sort of language that um, to talk about these things. And the sort of things that were associated with, with, um, with Donald Trump, the idea that um, people will have different views of this may be, that, but Cummings as well, that in the way that he can just sit up and just kind of think, well, I don't do anything wrong, you know, you know, fuck you kind of thing. I mean, this was the <laughs> subtext uh, running uh, you know, beneath this. And is this, uh, there's a kind of obscenity. And I think it has, um, as we've kind of forsaken the hypocrisy of Victorian reality, uh, morality, I wonder if we've allowed a, some other kind of monster to go out of the bag. It's not without precedent, this, of course, uh, you know, uh, famously Stalin and Hitler, you know, they also kind of, um, they, they, they were, they played fast and, 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 and loose with the obscene as a kind of strategy of power and turning it, turning themselves into um, figures of, of public joy and fantasy um, uh, in this uh, disgusting uh, way. Um, the question about uh, Keith um, needling um, political correctness, absolutely. I think that, uh, that the political correctness is an instrument of, um, of, of power and, pub and uh, public constraint. And as a, you know, we, we must, of course, uh, uh, you know, bridle against it. But because it is so uh, widely accepted, I think it's important to be um, to be fairly precise about how we do that and to actually to to uh, uh, to to unsettle people rather than to allow them to dismiss you too, uh, uh, too comfortably. Um, I'm delighted to be asked about my, um, uh, uh, my next play, which is a, a play about Lee Miller. It's called uh, the, the Photographer Lee Miller. I'm, I'm still sort of coming to the end of a first draft and I have a slight rule that I don't, I try not to talk about it, um, it too much at the first draft stage unless I get my, uh, uh, my gunpowder damp. And, um, uh, but essentially, that is a, it's a kind of night flight through, um, she, she went in, she suffered from very, um, uh, went into a very serious depression after the war, after, after being a photographer in the liberation of uh, Dachau and Buchenwald and, and so on, having worked previously as a kind of artist and a, and a, and a model. And she, she, she went into a very serious depression after the war and postnatal um, uh, dimension to it. So my play is about her going back through war-torn Europe to put a couple of bullets in the head of... Um, uh, of a Hungarian Nazi whose execution she photographed. And um, uh, it's, 
this I am discovering what the play is about, but I think it's very much about, from my mind, this come back to this question about who who am I, and um, what do I want? What does it mean to be a person in the world, and how will I? How am I going to stop myself killing myself? So um, uh, it's um, I think it has some humour in it, but actually I've had, I had I set myself a little rule of removing jokes actually which have I think slightly got in my way of getting to the bottom of this rather difficult and elusive um, character so that is that's my next play and um, so Andrew multimodal I like it yes I hope so I hope that's going to be um, well where I'm uh, uh, coming from and I'll be it, it's a definitely a play, play that plays fast and loose with language reality um, morality and uh, just about um, just about everything. Uh, luckily, the fact that we have a lockdown on means that there doesn't seem to be any hurry that I can take as long over this as I like. So, uh, so that's it. But thank you all so much for um, uh, uh, contributing and asking these these questions. And I hope do read the play, by the way. And uh, but don't it you know it needs to be taken at something other than face value. I would encourage you to see it as uh, as, as the joy of, um, of 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 being obscene in a time from a time when being obscene was a mode of resistance rather than a mode of what I think is now um, um, uh, oppression. Yes, that was great. Thank you. That was really fantastic, Patrick. Thank you so much. Um, really lots, lots of stuff to think about there, lots of material. And, I, and I, like you, I do recommend people read the play. Um, as I say, I sort of like, I just found the richness of its language, the sort of, is richness the right word? But it's, it's sort of, um, it's more the exuberance, I suppose, the exuberance of the language and the pace and everything like that, uh, really kind of carried on. And very funny, I mean, the fight scene is just hilarious. It's sort of like, the, and, and the clip at the end about do words kill or words kill um, in the current climate, which says everything the media, you know, has all this thing about kind of, um, uh, ripped off Batman, I think. Yeah. Batman exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like words are dead on arrival, I think. But, yeah. Anyway, okay, well, that's the end of the formal part of the meeting. Um, you're welcome to stick around and continue chatting, asking Patrick any questions or just throwing out thoughts or just listening to what people say in a more informal setting. Um, and the only thing I'd say, two, two things, reminders. One is the next uh, event is on the 18th of June, and that is now on the Academy of Ideas uh, website, and I'll soon be putting an, uh, an Eventbrite um, notice up. And the other thing is to donate to the Academy of Ideas and help it continue with its good work. I do this on a voluntary basis, which I'm extremely happy to do, and in fact, I'm delighted that um, uh, there's an organization that allows us to explore these ideas without being uh, constrained and trammeled by anything that says you can't say that. So um, that's what we're all about. You need money to do it. Right, okay. I'll step Thank down. Thank you very much. Before you go, I'd like to ask you to think about making a donation to the Academy of Ideas. We've not been furloughed and we haven't stopped. In fact, with salons and forums and public meetings online, we're busier than ever and delighted to be. But the current lockdown has almost completely stopped our income. So if you're a fan of what we do, we're counting on your support. 
Click the link below this podcast to donate what you can. And stay tuned for more debate and discussion from the Academy of Ideas wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.